Here's a sneak peek of what we have today. Yeah, I have a friend who interviewed at a practice right now in Saga, and it's like they interviewed 300 people or something. Or is it safe to assume you're kind of guaranteed a job after school, or is that <laughs> not the case anymore? I mean, 300 applicants for a spot. If you can, like my thing is, if you can, go rule. There's a lot to know about in dentistry. We should be having discussions about business, entrepreneurship, and innovation. So let's start right here, right now. This is the business of drilling. Okay, so welcome to our podcast. We're really excited to get this started. We have a really very awesome guest today, Dr. Sapita Nuruzian. Uh, she's great. She's a couple years out of school, just got into her author residency. We're really excited to have her on. So welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, so my name is Vlad. I'm a second year dental student. I'm joined here by my great co-hosts, Christian and Jury. Hello, everyone. I am also in second year. <laughs> Um, nice. Yeah. So why don't we just kind of get started? This podcast is produced by Debbie Academy. Go check them out. It's an organization created by students for students to essentially talk and learn about all the financial and business literacies you would need to know in the profession of dentistry. This is the first episode of the series called Life After Dental School, and we are really excited to talk to Dr. Maruzian. So Dr. Maruzian, why don't you give us a bit of an introduction about yourself? My name is Safida. I was born and raised in Ottawa, and I finally did move out of Ottawa to come and do my dental schooling at Western. I did graduate in 2019. And shortly after graduation, I moved out to Winnipeg, Manitoba, and I was practicing in a rural community, just about 50 minutes outside of the city. Did that for about a year and then COVID brought me back to Ontario. So I'm actually back in London now and I'm really happy to be back. And during that you know, first year of practice, I decided to pursue ortho. So I did apply to ortho. And I'm really excited uh, that I will be going back to Western next year to do my three years of ortho residency. So aside from that, you know, obviously socially, like I like to hang out with my friends. So I'm really glad to be back here and just trying to make the most of, you know, being close to everyone I care about. So why don't we kind of just get into the bread and butter, right? Where did your whole process begin? Like, what was your plan in dental school? Did you always know that you're going to go into ortho residencies or did you want to be a GP? So I definitely was kind of on the super GP train uh, throughout dental school. I really did want to, you know, make the most of all the opportunities that had to be and really try to master skills in kind of all disciplines so that when I went into private practice, I could really become a, a really good general dentist. And that was my intention. And I thought I would be a general dentist uh, in the future. So, you know, for me, it was a lot of shadowing, different specialists, but more so just to become well-rounded. And after graduating, you know, I finally made this decision to go rule because I really did want to, again, just kind of sharpen my skills in various disciplines. So for myself personally, it was, you know, I wasn't thinking ortho by any means. It was, it was only after actually being in general practice that I decided to pursue ortho, but not in school for sure. So why, why did you decide, uh, why, why did you decide to go rural and why did you decide to go Winnipeg? Was it, did someone point you in the direction or? You know what, for me, like I, I actually did have family in Ottawa, Winnipeg and Vancouver. So those were kind of the three spots I interviewed at. So, you know, after graduation, I was actually, no. So let's say fourth year dental school towards January, February, I started to start looking. So my first two interviews were in Ottawa. And then after that, I had two interviews out in Vancouver and then I went out to Winnipeg for a weekend and then Patterson had set up this like speed dating interview session. So I interviewed with, I think like 10 different practices there. And, you know, it was this one practice that kind of stood out to me and that's the one I decided to pick at the end of it and kind of move out there and practice there. But 
you know, there's a huge process that kind of led up to that. And, you know, having family there obviously was helpful for me. You know, if I didn't have family, would my choices have been different? I would say, yeah. But for me, that was definitely a, a contributing factor. And then rule was really, you know, this belief that if I, if I went to a remote community, I would just be able to have exposure to, you know, many different disciplines versus like when you're in the city, I feel like you're more inclined to refer, you're less likely to kind of, you know, push yourself to grow because, you know, there's a specialist right down the street, but if you're rural, patients are a little bit more hesitant. They want it done in-house. So it was a different environment and it was definitely an environment to grow in and really push yourself in. Did you have any rural like experience, like actual working experience before applying and going? No, definitely. You know, like I said, like grew up in Ottawa um, and then coming to London, like I didn't do anything. I didn't go out to any rural practices, really. Like every one that I was shadowing was mostly, you know, in kind of bigger cities. I drove out to Kitchener and Sarnia to shadow there, did some shadowing in Ottawa, but for the most part, just, you know, more so in cities. But I think it was actually one periodontist that I spoke to. I was talking to him about, you know, GPR versus, you know, pursuing private practice right after graduation. Cause you know, I'm sure you're all aware being at Western, a lot of the faculty kind of encourages you to pursue a GPR and, you know, knowing myself, I want to make the most of every opportunity. So I was really trying to weigh the two and see which one would be a better option for me. And it was this one periodontist that said, you know, if you go rural and you have a really great mentor, I think that's a lot better than, you know, pursuing a GPR if you want to be a general dentist. And for me, that was, you know, something that really resonated with me and kind of pushed me to, you know, look at rural practices a bit more seriously and consider, you know, commuting to these practices where you might get a lot more education, a lot more experience after graduation. Because, you know, as much as you do get experience being in dental school, there's still a lot to learn when you graduate. And, you know, just kind of, you know, ramping up your speed and picking up skills that maybe you need to polish a bit more. I think going rural is a great option for that. Yeah. I mean, that's what everyone says too, right? I mean, like getting out of dental school, you don't know anything about dentistry. It, it's actually like, it's interesting because you do like, you know, your, your four crown preps and then all of a yeah. sudden you're expected to do like multiple crown preps in a week. And it's just, you know, totally different. So you got to pick up your speed. You can't take three hours and then bring a patient back another day to do an impression. It's got to be like, get it done in like an hour, an hour and a half. And yeah. the expectations are totally different. And, you know, it was funny, like my principal's principal would pop in every once in a while and just kind of mentor and talk to me. And, you know, he's like, until you get your reps in, you're still going to be slow. So it's like, every time you do something, you kind of grow and you build. And, you know, that really, I think is true. Like if you don't do endo for a year, you trying to pick up and do an endo a year later, it's going to be really tough. You're going to be really slow and you're probably going to get frustrated. But if you just get out of school and you know, you're like, I have these skills, let me use them. You know, you're more likely to you know succeed and build and grow on that. Yeah. I think, that, I think that flows pretty well into another question we had, which sure. was, um, do you think when you're applying for these jobs uh, or, or these positions that the, the dentist that you're working for is straightforward with you in terms of what, you would, what you'll be doing? Like, will you know when you apply to a job that you'll be doing endo, crown preps, uh, this and that? Or is, is it kind of like a surprise? I mean, you know, it's funny. What, what will be thrown at you? You know, I'll just be honest in terms of the fact that I've had like two very different experiences and that. So when I moved out to Manitoba and when I was, you know, interviewing at all these practices, you know, I went to all the talks in dental school where they're like, look at the schedule, see what the schedule looks like a month out. And that was something that I did. So when I went to this rural practice, we looked at the schedule a month out, two months out, and there was patients booked and that was huge. And then you'd look in the columns and you'd see endo, you'd see crown preps like every day, every other day. So you knew that's what you were going to be doing um, versus, you know, when I came to London, 
after, you know, deciding to move during the pandemic, I had no idea like what I was getting myself into. It was all based on, you know, what I was told I would be getting. And when I got here, it was a bit of a different situation. So I, I see a lot of value in actually going to a practice and taking a look at the schedule. And for me, even like I shadowed my principal a week before I started and just kind of got a vibe of what he was doing and how he did things and how he talked to his patients. Cause you don't want to be someone who's, you know, totally different than the principal because that's what they're used to seeing. Um, but yeah, I hope that kind of answers your question there in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, your own kind of detective work, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you really need to know what you're getting yourself into because I've had friends who have kind of like gone to a practice thinking like it's going to be busy. You sign your contract, you show up, yeah. your patients booked, and then you're just, you know, you're disappointed. But it's like, you know, you really got to spend some time doing a bit of research, invest time to actually go to these practices and, you know, look at the schedule and see your, make sure you're going to get the work that you actually want to be doing. All that being yeah, said, like, for people who don't want to do endo, and I get that, and you know, just explain that to your principal then also and be like, I don't want to do this versus for me, it was like, I wanted to do endo. I wanted to do cramp preps. I wanted to do everything to see what I liked and really develop all these skills. So I think it's important to really just know kind of who you are and kind of your limits and what you want to be doing. Cause like for me, I'm not an implant person. I never wanted to be, but I have friends who really want to do that. So going to a practice where you'd have that mentorship. And, you know, on that point, I think mentorship is huge. Like, I think it's really important to be, you know, after graduation, I really think it's important to be going to a practice where you will have a mentor. Um, Because like I said, you know, you graduate from dental school and, you know, you do know a good amount, but to grow on it, to build on it, you know, to have someone to give you feedback, potentially help you out when you need it. It's really important in my opinion. So like for me going out somewhere where I had an amazing mentor really helped me to grow because he would push me to do things that maybe were a little bit beyond my scope. But he said, Hey, if you get stuck, I'm here to help you. Like I'm here yeah. to come and, you know, kind of guide you through it if you need me to. And I think that's huge because I wouldn't be where I am today and have developed the skills that I have if it weren't for him. And I'm you know very grateful for him, obviously, for all those experiences that we had. Do you have um, any advice for maybe dental students uh, finding a mentor when they are looking? For sure. And I, I think like a big part of that is just, you know, when you go out for your interview, it's, you know, sitting down and having that conversation with that person. Because at the end of the day, as, you know, as successful as their practice is, it's really your relationship with that person and getting a vibe of, you know, if they're the type that, you know, is going to be willing to help you out if you mesh well too, right? If you and your principal don't get along or you have two different philosophies or your your personalities are really different, you're you're not going to get that support or that mentorship that you might want. You want your mentor to be someone you like, in my opinion. So for me, going out to all these practices, you know, I would have conversations with the principals and there was, you know, a few practices that I went to where it'd just be the office manager kind of showing me around. And at that point, I'd be like, you know, maybe this isn't a good fit for me because I don't even know who I'm going to be working with. Um, But when I picked my practice, you know, the guy I worked for is like the chillest, nicest guy. And like, you know, when we weren't talking dentistry, we were just, you know, talking about random stuff. And I love that, you know, it's someone who I genuinely really like. So I think that's important. I think that, you know, if you don't take the time to get to know someone, you're not going to really know if you're going to get that mentorship that you need. And I guess the other thing is also knowing that they're going to be around. I think sometimes maybe you do vibe with someone, you do mesh with them, but then, you know, they're only working three days or they have, you know, a bunch of other practices and they're not really going to be there. So I think it's really important to know if you're going to be really seeing that person and you're going to be actually working with them or is it like, I'm a phone call away. You can call me whenever you need me. I'll be there for you. But I think it's different when they're actually physically there. I feel like that's do you so think- hard to get a read on someone like that. Yeah. Did you, did you spend a lot of time with your mentor beforehand or is it just... So it was interesting because I actually met him at the 
So like I said, I went out to Manitoba. I went for this like Patterson speed interviewing event. Okay. And at that event, I went and I talked to these 10 different practices. And for the most part, I would say all of them, I went and I actually went to the practice over the course of the two, three days that I was there. And, you know, I, I won't say his name, but my principal, basically, he was, he was super chill. We hardly talked dentistry during this, like, whatever, the speed interview thing. We we're just talking. And then, you know, my, my cell number was on my resume. And the next day, he just like sent me a text. And he was like, hey, like, how to go yesterday? Do you have any questions about my practice? And I was like, hey, like, you know, I, I'd love to talk to you a bit more about it. We had a 30 minute phone call on the phone. And then the next day I drove out. So I was staying in Winnipeg. I drove out like an hour to go into this guy's practice. And we talked for like two hours that day. And he shows me the schedule. He shows me his CEREC, his CBCT. And I'm like, I'm like head over heels for this practice. Like I want to go. So, you know, I think, yeah, I think you really got to go out. You got to spend the time to talk to someone and really make sure that, you know, it's the right fit for you. And if you don't kind of, if you don't do that, you won't necessarily know what you're getting yourself into. And I've you know, heard of a lot of my friends kind of walking into situations where they're not as happy. And maybe because, you know, like I said, the market's different in different places. Like I had the luxury to, you know, have multiple offers and have practices that I was interested in and that were interested in me. But I think if you go to, you know, somewhere that's a bit more saturated, it's like, if you're not like top of the line, you might not necessarily get the time to really sit down with someone and actually talk to them and get to know them and get to know their practice. Cause if they're interviewing, you know, like, you know I have a friend who interviewed at a practice right now in Saga and it was like, they interviewed 300 people or something, or sorry, they had 300 applicants and they had like 30 people come in or something like that. I was like, you can't, they don't have time to spend that much time with every single person and get to know them and get to know the practice. So I think it really depends on kind of the market you're looking in and yeah, kind of your skills. That's a, that's a little bit unsettling, eh? 300 applicants. Yeah, it's actually crazy. It's like blowing my mind. Because I have a friend, like I have friends, actually, I'm not going to say a friend. I have friends in Toronto who are kind of bumping around between practices trying to find a good fit because a lot of the times you might be there kind of babysitting the practice or babysitting hygiene and not really having a full day book. So they're looking for kind of good practices. But it's, it's tough. There's a lot of applicants. And I I was surprised by that number. It blew me away how within a, I think she said like within a day, 300 people had applied. And that was like, like, wow, like I can't even believe this. Like how are there this many dentists like looking for work right now? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You kind of need a moment after that one. eh? It opens up your eye. Uh, I mean, that really said, we had a question that we weren't really going to throw in, but I guess we can throw in. Sure. Um, is it like is it safe to assume you're kind of guaranteed a job after school or is that <laughs> not the case anymore? I mean, 300 applicants for a spot. You know what? I, like, I want to say, like, there is always work somewhere. Will you necessarily end up where you want to be? I'm going to say no. So I'm going to say, like, if you want to be in, like, Richmond Hill, Toronto, like, I'm not going to say you're necessarily going to find a job there. Is that, like, where you want to go, Christian? You're like, me. That's not where I want to go. It's where I live right now. (laughs) I'll just say bye to my family and move away. (laughs) I think think there's always work somewhere. It's just, you know, what you're looking for, where you're willing to go. And, you know, if you really do want to end up in an area, are you willing to maybe not have kind of your dream job too. So, mm-hmm. so for me, I was willing to move to get the experience I wanted. Some people are like, I want to be in Toronto because that's where the people I care about are. And I, I totally get that, you know, it, it really comes down to your personality, what you want. And for me, it was like, you know, I'm young, I'm going to graduate and I want to make the most of this opportunity. But I totally get the other side of it where it's like, hey, I just want to be close to my friends and family. Like, I, I totally get that. I just think you might get a very different experience. Yeah, you got to um, get the short end of the stick. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And but the reality is, is, like, there's always gems 
And, you know, even though I had an awesome opportunity in, you know, Bozier, Manitoba, um, I know people who in London, in Brantford, et cetera, who are doing really, really well. So, you know, there, there's still good spots in normal places. So yeah. <laughs> So, well, uh, normal places too. So I kind of wanted to touch back on this because you mentioned rural, like rural is a big topic for everyone, right? But how rural are we talking about? Like, are we talking about like a commuting rural or are we talking about like you actually live really far away from like a hospital? So the practice I was at was... I'm going to say 50 minutes outside of Winnipeg. I drive a little fast so I can okay. down a little bit, but uh, about 50 minutes outside of Winnipeg. And for me, I was making this decision of like, do I actually want to live in this community or do I want to live in Winnipeg? And I made the decision to commute every day, which was like a little bit tough during Manitoba winters. But, you know, that was my call. And like, you know, I was happy with that decision. But I know people who have been like eight hours from Winnipeg, for instance, in Swan River. Um, or my friend who's in Fort Mac, which is like four hours from Edmonton. So, you know, you don't necessarily have to go too, too far out of a city. But I think if you're talking like GTA, if you go out an hour from GTA, like that's that's not enough. Like, you know what I mean? You really got to yeah. be a bit, a bit further from these major cities versus like Winnipeg, where you could be like a little bit outside of the city and it'd be considered rural there. Right. So, so it's like it's location specific, I guess, then. Right. So it's like, as yeah, you mentioned, like in the GTA, an hour doesn't really go a long way. But, no, you're still, you're you know, still if it was something like Saskatchewan or Saskatoon or Winnipeg, something sure. like that, an hour away would actually still be a viable option. For sure. And I think like, obviously, you know, looking at I think like they say in Manitoba, there's like 300 dentists or something, you know, like the community is so incredibly small and obviously the population of Manitoba is a fraction of Ontario, but then like, what is there in Ontario? Like 12,000 dentists or something crazy like that. Like, like, I don't even understand. I I think this, I read a stat the other day that Ontario has 48% of the dentists in Canada. Which like, you know, it like makes sense. It's like a pretty spot to be like, I'd rather be here than maybe Manitoba. But all that being said, it's like, you know, after grad, why would you not like, in my opinion, why would you not go somewhere where you're going to get an awesome experience? And then you can just move back later. Like, that's what I tell like my friends in fourth year. I'm like, why don't you just go out to Alberta? you know, grind it out for a couple of years and then come back, especially if you have someone, if you have a friend, if you have a partner, like someone like that's awesome. That's an awesome experience. And you'll come back and actually like have something to like really offer. Be like, Hey, I've done molar endos for the past like two, three years. And I'm pretty proficient. Like that says a lot, right. Versus I'm still kind of shaky. I take like four hours, you know, like it's, hmm. it's, it's tough to compete in maybe Toronto market for sure. That's definitely a different perspective. I, I knew that it was really saturated in Ontario, right? But like you're totally right. There's nothing stopping you from coming back with more experience, more capabilities, right? I mean, you don't come back stronger. And then if people give up, you know, a year or two of their lives to do things like GPRs just for the experience, I mean, like, okay, well, why don't you take those and, extra step and go somewhere, right? And do it. And that was the thing for me. Like, I think, I think GPRs. I think a lot of people go into GPRs with the intention to do something after. So I think a lot of people go and do GPRs to get into OMFS, pedo, et cetera. But if you just really just want to be a well-rounded GP, why not go somewhere where you have a great mentor to you know teach you? So it's more like an educational you know, facility and actually, you know, get your reps and see a ton of patients. Cause I was talking to my friends who were in GPRs and the reality was there was times where I was doing a lot more dentistry than they were. So for myself, you know, moving out to Manitoba, 
I was out at this rural practice four or five days a week. And then I picked up a day at a pedo practice. Cause for me, pedo was something that like was like way over my head. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, I don't want to see kids. So I was like, instead of shying away from it, I reached out to this pedo practice and I said, Hey, can I come and, you know, just shadow to start and eventually start working. And they were super on board. So I went in for GDA days. I watched someone kind of put on a ton of stainless steel crowns and fillings. And I got a bit more comfortable just seeing what I had to do. And then I was able to start treating patients. So it's like, wherever you go, you can still make it a learning opportunity as long as you're willing to invest in yourself and shadow. I'm not saying I would just jump to doing a stainless steel crown when I hadn't done one in school without really taking the time to watch someone else do it a few times to feel a bit more comfortable to try it out. So it's all about, you know, kind of what you want for yourself. Cause I have friends who, you know, shy away from endo and it's a year now and they just don't want to do it because they haven't touched it. So I think it really depends on kind of the person, your personality and, you know, what kind of growth you want to see in yourself. It really is, you know, person specific for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Totally. That was a lot to think about. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about this too. I'm like, thoughts are racing for sure. Um, a, a lot of, a lot of people, when they think about GPRs though, for example, um, if you want to do implants, you're going to have to do continuing education. I can't, I can't, I wouldn't think like, I, I'm not really knowledgeable on the topic, but I wouldn't think that just having a mentor for certain, certain procedures, like if you wanted to do ortho, if you want to do implants, if you wanted to do um, perio. Uh, as a GP, you can't just learn that from your mentor and you would have to do continuing education. So I would think that's like one incentive to do a GPR. Um, whereas we're in some schools, uh, they heavily focus on one certain topic, um, like implants, for example. Um, what do you, what do you think about that? Hey, no, I, I do see value in that for sure. Like I, you know, I have a friend who went out and did a GPR, like was, I think it was an implant I'm not going to say implant focused or anything like that, but it was more so, you know, they were doing more, you know, more of the kind of the surgical side of mm -hmm. dentistry and placing implants. And I, I saw a lot of value in that. So it's like, if you really want to do that, you want to get into the GA, do that. Then I would say, you know, that's a great way to kind of pursue that. But the only thing on that side is I think they did less general dentistry. Right. Even I'm thinking kind of the GPRs in Toronto, like I've had, you know, I've heard of experiences where people go out there and, you know, they're seeing, you know, medically compromised patients, they're taking out teeth, they're doing like the stuff that is kind of beyond the scope of a GP, which is awesome because you're really getting that surgical experience in, then you're not doing any endo. And then you get out after a year and you're, you're rusty in another way. So it's just kind of knowing what you want to focus on in general dentistry too. And, you know, realizing that, you know, you might be getting really valuable experiences in kind of one aspect of dentistry but you might be kind of slowing down or really not seeing much of something else. So, you know, it's important to kind of think about what you want to do in the future. And, you know, I have friends who just want to place a ton of implants and take out wisdom teeth and that might be an awesome experience for them. But that, that kind of wasn't my path and what I saw for myself. Like I want to be the general dentist who, you know, did a lot of restos, did endos, um, got into more so kind of the aesthetic dentistry, but I didn't see myself placing implants or taking out whizzies. So I think it's like very different for different people. So definitely, you know, good point there. I think if you do want to get into implants, more surgical exo, there are programs that would be a bit more focused towards that. Very true. I, I, I always teeter-totter between, you know, because I'm someone that just likes to have a plan, like I want to know what I'm doing kind of thing. And I have a plan B and C and if things don't work out. So in my mind, I'm always like, okay, hey, after dental school, I'm going to do a GPR. Okay. Right. And that was naive. Vlad from 
last year and coming into this year and you just you learn so much even in like a couple months shadowing and whatnot right you know, from practicing like dennis like people like yourself that know the profession right um and also from other sources like uh there's a lot of podcasts that advocate you know skip the gpr like you said find a good mentor and then take the ce in the specific things that you want and there are so many incredible ce courses out there that put what you would do in a residency right for things like GA or even implants, like some of the implant courses are just ridiculous. Like they, they work with cadavers and they have simulated uh, implant cases, right? Like it's just, it's a really cool seminar and you pay a, a good amount of money for it, but you do get the experience of, you know, like, okay, I know this stuff now, I, I know what to do. And so I'm always trying to figure, figure out, out yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, so what would you suggest? I, I have a feeling you're, you're leaning more towards the mentorship and CE route than the GPR route. I am. And like, like I said, like I, I was so on the fence about a GPR. Like I was really considering it. I had a friend who went up to Ohio and I remember him being like, Hey, a spot opened up in Ohio. Like, do you want to apply? I can put in a good word for you. And I was, I was really thinking about it, but I, I think it really does come down to kind of, again, like what you see for yourself after. And like you said, you made a good point about the implants too. Like I have a friend who went out to, I think it was like Dominican Republic or something and did like a they went out twice there to do some implant training and then went out to Chicago like three times as well. So like really got a solid year of like implant exposure through CE. And I think it's possible to do that. Maybe GA is a little bit different because I, I, I think there's like one GA course I've heard out, about out in Alberta where you drop like 20 grand or something and mm. go through that exposure. But I think CE is a great option. I think so for myself, like, I don't want to kind of contradict kind of what I'm doing in the future. Like I'm, I'm pursuing ortho. Cause I think, I think if I just went through the C route, it would take me a really, really, really long time to be as proficient as I want to be in ortho versus implants. I think, I don't think you have to be a specialist to place implants. And I don't think you have to be a specialist to get really good at taking out wisdom teeth. Do I think you should go through your specialty training if you want to do orthognathic surgery or facial trauma? Yeah, I do. But I think you could kind of master those two aspects by doing continuing education. I have friends, you know, in London who have a great mentor and are placing implants now. Okay. So I think you definitely could go that route. Like I said, it's really just about what you see for your future. I have, yeah. you know, if there's, if you want to pursue OMFS, like do the GPR. Like if you know that's your path, like, yes, do the GPR. Don't go into general dentistry. That is not going to act in your favor. But it's really just about knowing like what you see for yourself and what you want. So for me, it was like, I wasn't a wisdom tooth implant person. So I was like, this is not, this is not my path. And it was only after, you know, deciding ortho that I was like, I can do the C route. And I really was thinking about it. There's like this course out in California, 10 grand and it's two weekends and you get some good ortho exposure. But I just thought, you know, it would take me so long to go through the cases and really be good at it. And I, I have a lot of respect for people who, you know, really are proficient in their field and really are an expert. And I really do want to be an expert in ortho. So that's why I'm going back to school for three years. But, you know, if I just want to do Invisalign cases, would I go back? There's no way. Like I would just mm -hmm. do a course and kind of work through it and pick the simpler cases, but I just want to do the more complicated stuff and I want to really know what I'm talking about. So that's why I'm going back. So well, while we're on that topic yeah. um, of ortho, maybe you can like expand on why, because you, you've like touched on it, but I wanted to really, really understand why ortho, like what got, when did you start thinking about ortho? Why ortho? Was it an exposure? Um, 
in maybe dental school or an exposure through a mentor or or what, what was it specifically? Okay, so it like like it, so I did say that in dental school I was on the super GP path, so I just wanted to be a GP, but. Like I, I had obviously extensive ortho kind of growing up. I had an impacted canine. It was extracted. I had, a, I had an implant place. Like I went through that whole fun ortho route and that maybe kind of made me think about ortho a little bit. And then in dental school, I, like I said, I was shadowing all specialties. So I shadowed a periodontist, oral surgeon, keto, and I ended up shadowing um, Dr. Smith who practices in London. And I remember he was super encouraging. He was like, do a GPR, like apply to ortho, I'll write you a letter. We're going to get you in. Like he was really encouraging and it was fun. Like it was fun to see what he did and watch him and watch his day to day. Like I think ortho is a really fun environment to be in. Um, for the most part, it's a lot of adolescence and youth and you're bouncing around between chairs. You see a ton of patients, you have a lot of staff and I, you know, I'm a pretty energetic person. So I think I'm going to really like that environment, but you know, obviously a huge part of it is, you know, creating these beautiful smiles but I think for me, like I wasn't really thinking about all that till I ended up in private practice and I ended up at this pediatric clinic with an orthodontist down the hall. And I would go in there and I would, you know, initially we just started talking, but it got to the point where I was like, can I just come like watch you treat patients? And he was like, yeah, for sure. And then his assistants were super supportive and they let me help me put on the elastics and do this and that. And it was just that exposure and seeing that environment and being in it and you know, hearing from the staff how much they loved it and seeing how much this orthodontist loved it, that I really started to think about it more. And even beyond that, like I had to shadow, like that wasn't enough for me. Like I shadowed probably four different orthodontists in Winnipeg. And, you know, again, just having that kind of positive reinforcement where people were just really happy with their job for me was huge. So I, I had this one orthodontist who I remember he said to me, he was like, if I could be like a hockey player, an actor, like that would kind of be like top notch for me. But after that, like fourth was a close second. So like just hearing that for me was huge. Like I was really excited about the profession. I was excited about being in this environment where you're creating these like gorgeous smiles and people are always happy. And I think that's going to be a really good fit for me. So I, I think I'm just excited for the day to day now and, you know, kind of creating that picture in my head really helped me decide that this is kind of the right fit for me. It's, it sounds like the right fit for you. I think every dentist and every dental student can appreciate the transformation of a smile. Like I remember I was shadowing a general dentist Okay. of everything. He, he, he does everything, but uh, I mean, he's also 50. So God knows how long it took him to get proficient at everything, but out of everything he's done, um, implants and ortho, he loved the transformation of ortho. He's like, this is like my favorite feeling as a dentist is seeing people take off their braces and the transformation that they did. So I love hearing that. Like, that's awesome. Congrats to you. you know what I mean? There's like a general dentist like working for ortho. So that's what I mean. Like that's, yeah. I, I think it's a lot of fun. I think it brings people a lot of happiness, especially when you do like these like really cool, crazy cases. Like obviously there's like the more laid back Invisalign cases where you just like straighten things up, but then like, you know, severe class two, class three patients, and you're really changing their smile and just, just changing someone like the entire way they look like that's very cool. So I'm excited. And obviously there's other aspects of it. Like I'm really into kind of the impact of ortho and airway. So I think that's something I kind of want to research a bit more, do a bit more CE on and make that a part of my practice in the future. So let's talk maybe like applications and stuff. Cool. So yeah. you decide to go into residency, like you want to go to ortho, right? So where did you start? What did you do? How did you self-evaluate? Okay. So for me, I guess 
this like kind of decision making process kind of really started to ramp up for me in January. So at that point, like I said, like Monday mornings, I was shadowing ortho. Um, and then I'd go to my pedo practice from two to eight. So my mornings I was doing that. And then I started looking into programs and I, you know, was talking to a few different orthodontists about, you know, where to apply, what were good schools in the States. Cause I wanted to open myself up to the States as well. Cause you know, I made this decision that this is what I wanted to do. And I was like, I will apply to the States. I'll apply to Canada and I will go anywhere that takes me. And I want to get this started. So, you know, I, I reached out to orthodontists and I was like, where do, where should I go? And that was kind of step one. And then once I decided to go to the States, I had to write my GRE, uh, which was not fun, but I did that during COVID. So, you know, whatever, I studied for a couple of weeks and then wrote that and then just started getting into the past application, you know, doing my Canadian apps. And this was all during the time that I was moving back to Ontario. So it was a hectic few months, but, you know, it, it wasn't too bad, like for the most part, you know, you have to get your letters together and, you know, obviously having that shadowing experience really helps because I think your letters play a huge role. Like, you know, my friends always ask me how my grades were and I tell them like they were not that good. Like I wasn't, you know, obviously gunning to be a specialist. So I was just, you know, going through dental school, studying, making sure like I understood the things I really thought were important. Um, but I would, would I go and search for all that little fluff to get that 90%? No. Um, so you know, for me, I think the letters play a huge role. I think your experience and kind of your passion and kind of having that shine through on your application and your, your letter, that really is a big thing. So I, I was working on my letter for probably like two months, like going over it, sharing it with people, getting feedback, rewriting it. So I think you got to kind of grind it out a bit on those apps, but it's, it's totally worth it. So how many, how many residencies did you apply to? I ended up applying to six in the States and five in Canada. Okay. And then I ended, like, I was so sure, like, I would get interviews in the States and not in Canada. And it ended up being like the total opposite. So I ended up interviewing only in Canada and then, you know, ended up with, you know, two options that I decided to kind of come to Western, which I'm really happy yeah. about. Um, but it was interesting. Like, you know, I think, what are we November now? So all of October, I was kind of going through these multiple interviews and I remember by the end of it, I was just so drained. I was like, I'm exhausted. Like, I don't know how people like do how, like I have a friend who applied to like 50 programs in the States for one of their specialties. And I was like, how do you do this? Like, how do you have yeah, to yeah. keep doing this for me? Like after four, I was like, I'm done. I'm like tapped out. Like That's why I asked is so from what I understood, just from reading forums and stuff like that and talking to people, I mean, like Canadian dental students applying to the States, yeah, they have to apply in ridiculous numbers. I mean, like, like, yeah, like 40, 50 plus program applications is common. And that's what I want to ask you. So uh, you kind of alluded to the fact, but do you feel like Canadian students are at an actual disadvantage when applying to U.S. schools? Okay, I would say normally no. And I I don't know, maybe, maybe I wasn't strong enough to get an interview in the States. Like, I really don't know what happened this year. But I, I do have a friend who's going through the cycle for oral surge. And, you know, he was specifically told by, you know, one of the directors, like, this is a bad year for Canadians to be applying with COVID and kind of visa regulations. Like it's not a good year for us to be accepting Canadians. So maybe that plays a role in it. I've just been hearing of a few people who I know who are kind of applying to Canada and the States for different programs, not hearing back as much as we kind of expected from the States. Um, you know, usually there's a bit of a reputation that, you know, the States are a bit easier to get into maybe just because there's so many programs, but I would say this year was a little bit different. And the one big thing, which I think, you know, COVID played a huge part in was 
every school is saying like, we've seen like a surge of applicants, like more applicants than we've ever seen. So, you know, like 150, 200% of the number of applicants all of a sudden. And I think that's, you know, largely in part due to the fact that everyone was home during application season, like not working. So everyone's like, let me just fill an application and pop it in there. So it, it was definitely a different, it was a different year, I think. Um, you know, I got a letter back. I applied to South Carolina. I have a friend out there and they're like, just apply. And I was like, okay. And then they sent me a letter being like, no, like we, we have a lot of applicants and we're good. So I was like, okay. So definitely an interesting year. I'm hoping like by next year, it'll be kind of back to normal. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was weird, but I'm happy it kind of worked out all at the end of it. Yeah. So if you didn't get into ortho, did you see yourself doing anything else or what was like, did you have a plan? Okay. So I would have just like probably done another year of general dentistry and then for sure. Um, the one thing I thought about was doing a little bit of C and starting to do some cases. Cause I think, I think it looks good when you have shown that you have interest in something and you're doing a few cases in that discipline. Um, so obviously for endo, that's easier. Cause I feel like at Western, we really got a good endo education. So when I graduated, I felt confident at doing, in doing endo and, you know, obviously with doing more reps, you're willing to do a bit more complicated cases, but with ortho, you know, we didn't have that exposure. We weren't doing any cases. So for me to actually be willing to treat a patient, I felt like I needed to, you know, get some continuing education and, you know, make sure I was a bit more proficient before I started treating anyone. Um, and I thought, you know, if I didn't get into ortho this year, I might've pursued some courses, but I just think it's really important to kind of know your limits and not start doing something that you're not comfortable with or confident in. So I didn't want to start doing cases that I would feel like were a bit beyond my scope. So I was really just hoping I'd get in and get that formal education, but if not, I'd probably start doing a bit more CE in ortho for sure. Yeah. Well, maybe we can, uh, maybe we can go back to talking about you working as a general dentist. Um, So in dental school, they don't teach you about a lot of the technology that's available in dentistry today. There's a lot of technology like CEREC or CVCT that just makes your life like incredibly easier. And they, for some reason, well, I know the reason, but they don't teach you this in dental school because they want you to know the basics. So maybe we can touch on, um, was it easy to learn all of these technologies straight out? Uh, do you think that it'd be beneficial for dental schools to add these these uh, technologies uh, into the curriculum, or um, maybe you can touch on on this topic? For sure. Um, so the the big thing is, I, I do think you need to know the basics, and I say that because not every practice has you know, Sarah and CBCT or whatever, you know? So I have friends who are practices where they still have to take impressions. So obviously it's important to have that skill to be able to do that. Um, do I think there should be a shift to kind of getting a bit more exposure to, you know, digital dentistry? I do because, you know, you're seeing it more and more. And for myself, when I, you know, ended up at this practice in Bozager, who would think this rural practice would have a CBCT and a CERIC, but I, I, you know, I had no exposure to, you know, scanning or anything like that. Whereas I know, you know, there's schools in states where they have scanners and students actually use them. So for me, I had to, you know, fly out to Vancouver and I did some basic training in CERIC there before I started actually using it. 
Um, so I think there would be value in seeing that more and more so in the dental schools. But all that being said is you might not end up at a practice that necessarily has a lot of digital dentistry. So it's important to kind of have those basic skills. Um, obviously, having a CBCT is amazing when you're doing endo and, you know, you're, you want to know what's going on with the anatomy or where MB2 is and you're trying to find it. So, you know, there's a lot of value in having that technology. It's just you know, you might not necessarily have exposure to it. I think CBCT is kind of another level. I know, you know, the majority of practices, I don't think still have a CBCT. I think it's more so, you know, the specialists that have them and then some of the general practices that do, but, you know, having that exposure, a little bit more exposure in dental school, I think would have a lot of value because I think it's just going to become more and more common really. Mm-hmm. Well, I see, I come from like the, the perspective that it's hard to, you know, develop a dental school curriculum that's just going to cover all the new technologies kind of thing, right? So like learning the foundational stuff is, I, I see the value in it. And like you mentioned, not all practices are transitioning to digital dentistry right away. I, I still think we're very much, we're, we're in digital dentistry, but we're at the very beginning stages of it still. Like people are still adopting it and whatnot. But to follow up on that, so you said you, you traveled to Vancouver to do some CREC uh, courses, yeah, or something Yeah, else? so I was, um, it's a weird time. So like, I remember I was like graduating from dental school and I wanted to do some CEREC training before I started in private practice because I had a crown book like that first week. So I was like, I got to do this before graduation even. Um, so I think it was like, you know, early June. So before grad, I flew out to Vancouver and then I had like a one-on-one session with the Patterson rep where she kind of went through the CEREC with me for a day. We scanned together. So that was, that was really nice. I think, you know, you could probably get away without doing that. Um, But, you know, for me, I thought, you know, why not, why not kind of just get really good at it right off the hop. And my, my principal was really encouraging of me doing that. Um, He actually supported me and actually paid for me to go out there and do that. So that was huge for me. You know, that was something we talked about during the interview. When I interviewed out there, he was like, you know, I have the CEREC. I want you to be trained in it. So let's figure that out. And so that for me was really nice because I, I set up the the day. Like I had to reach out to a few Patterson reps across the country and figure out someone who was willing to like have me and kind of go through that with me. But it was it was really fun. And then, you know, even for my CBCT course, I, thought, I think I mentioned I went out to Alberta for that. So that was a really good course. I think there's two in Ontario and one in Alberta. And I always tell my friends, like, you have to go somewhere, go out to Alberta. So I went out for a weekend in November and did that. So I think just really realizing that once you graduate, you should expect to be spending money on CE. And, yeah. you know, you've just dropped a ton on tuition, but don't think that's enough. Like, I, I really think it's important to grow and invest in yourself, especially right out of school. So I think some people kind of shy away from it because they're like, you know, I, I don't want to spend the money, but it's like you, just, you still have so much growth and so much growth potential. And you really should do the best to, you know, do as much as you can kind of early out. But I say that, you know, basically, I want to say that if you do kind of pursue something, make sure you use it. Because I have friends that will go and do a course and then they won't do it for a long time. And it's kind of like if you don't use it right away. You're not going to really have solidified that knowledge or you know, practice it. So I think it's really important to, if you're going to go do something, make sure you use it within a couple of days of going out to that course. Absolutely. Yeah. And so like all these technologies, like they're basically CE courses you can take, you can just get trained in them. In uh, in Winnipeg, it's interesting because you don't actually have to do your CBCT training, uh, which I think is interesting because in Ontario you do. So if you're going to push that button and take a CBCT, you have to have done your course, your training, yeah. you know, basically being able to read CBCT. So um, for myself, it was actually Dr. Friedman who referred me to Interface, and then they referred me to kind of follow through and do this course in Alberta. And it, it was really good. So it was like a weekend there. And 
I, I think that was an awesome opportunity. And I always tell my friends, like, if you need to do your CBC training, go out there. But I think, yeah, you basically just have to be ready to figure out what you want to invest in, what you want to grow in and learn in and start, yeah. start doing that right after grad. Well, I guess since we're on the topic of kind of spending more money, uh, why don't we talk about just the basic finances? Like every dental student, I'm sure, has on their mind, like, okay, well, uh, the tuition costs this much. What am I going to do after I graduate, right? Like, what do you expect? I think it's a reasonable thing to ask. Like everyone kind of tries to shy away from the finances. I sure. think it's totally fine to actually discuss it, right? Because, I mean, you're putting the money up front to go to school anyways. Might as well see what you can get in return. So on that note, I mean, what what is like a relatively realistic income uh maybe a range for dentists so obviously it depends on skill and how fast you work and how proficient you are in different procedures maybe if you take in ce and whatnot do you from like your experience or from your friends have an estimate of what dental students can expect um so i think it varies pretty significantly so i've heard of a common range is between eight to twenty so i think that's kind of where you should expect to fall within. Um, and again, I think where you go plays a part in that, but I, I know friends who, you know, were still on the high end, close to the twenties and they were, you know, in Ontario. So I'm not saying you can't stay in Ontario and still do well, you know, taking home 20 a month. It's, it's pretty amazing. It's, it's something that, you know, I think is, you know, very special. And every day I think about how grateful we should be that we can kind of be at this level of earning capacity, but you know, all that being said is I've heard of people who kind of move like really rural and, you know, do a ton of dentistry and, you know, they're kind of on the upper end and towards even 50. So there's, there's a huge range and you can kind of be anywhere in that range, just depending on, you know, what you're doing, where you're going and, you know, again, how much you're willing to learn and push yourself. Yeah. And then in terms of loan repayment, yeah. Have you, were you, so, I mean, like I, I'm on loans for down to school. I'm sure a lot of people are on loans. Some people are very fortunate that they don't have to be, but um, you know, for me, my primary concern is how am I going to tackle this sort of personal finance issue? You know, like I want a house, I want to into starting a family and stuff. Right. So do you, do you feel that it's kind of unreasonable since you're a recent grad, like, you know, the tuitions that are, you know, close to 200 K now. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, when you talk to clinicians that graduated 20, 30 years ago, like they tell you, oh yeah, dental school cost me 20K. Oh, great. Not, <laughs> Good for you. It's not, it's not even comparable. Whenever they talk yeah. about that, I'm just like, you don't even know what's going on these days. Yeah, yeah. So I, is it is it, is it going to be okay? <laughs> like, is it going to be fine? I, I think the big thing will is- Will I be okay? Yeah. <laughs> tell me I'm going to be okay. 100% you will be okay. It's totally worth the investment. And all that being said, it's like, you know, we've all worked really, really hard to get to this point and it, it will pay off. I think, you know, different people in terms of kind of their spending habits and what they do after, like, obviously there's people who are investing in practices and buying houses. And I think the biggest thing to realize is being in debt isn't a bad thing. It's just, you just have to see it as the normal, like you will be in debt. If you want to buy a house, you're going to be in debt. And you have to accept that. It's like, it's not a bad thing. You can still live a really comfortable lifestyle. You can still have a really you know, amazing high-end lifestyle potentially even, and just accept that you will still be in debt. And that's, that's okay. I think everyone just has to kind of recognize what they're comfortable with. You know, if you're a bit more frugal, you might not be buying a Mercedes right after school. Um, And that's okay. And just kind of realizing what you want and setting kind of, you know, a budget in terms of this is kind of the lifestyle I want and this is how much I have to spend on it. And just being okay with the fact that you might be in debt for the next however many years, because, you're doing things and buying things that are important for you, right? Like if you're buying a practice, that's a huge investment and that's going to mean you're going to be in debt for a good amount of time and that's okay. 
Um, you know, as an associate though, like, like for me, like obviously like I grew up with the mentality to like pay off my loans and pay off my debt. So, you know, right now I'm an associate. I haven't purchased a practice. I am really just working to pay off my loans. I'm living within, you know, my means and what I think is a good lifestyle for myself personally, but you know, I'm chipping away probably, you know, hopefully going to have paid off my loans within the next year, potentially a bit more than that. And I think that's, that's where I want to be. So I'm happy with yeah. that. Just kind of recognizing you know, seeing what you're comfortable in with and then just recognizing that it's okay to be in debt. It's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've had multiple conversations now with people that have graduated years back, uh, two years back, five years back. And the sort of common theme that they always say is like, yeah, you, you can expect to pay. And I, I mean, of course, I'm coming from a perspective that, you know, you're not going out and buying a Mercedes when you graduate or whatever, but like if you're in debt, you can expect to pay it off within five years, roughly like that. Uh, if you're just really aggressive with it. Uh, and smart with your money. Just being an associate, probably though. Like I can't imagine you buying a practice and necessarily paying it off in five years. But if you're if you're just trying to pay off your like tuition. Yes. Sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah, tuition. One hundred percent. Like I could totally see like everyone doing that. So you know, all that being said, I have a lot of friends who bought like really nice cars. And like if that's what you want, like by all means, like just expect (laughs) it's gonna be like closer to the five years than like two, three years, right? So yeah. I, I just wouldn't worry about it. Like I just think that you're, you're, you're going to be fine. And, you know, all that being said, it's like, don't live a crazy lifestyle, but I, I think for the most part, everyone's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Cool. Okay. Well, we're getting to the 15 minute mark. So why don't we start wrapping up, but we wanted to leave off on a question. It's kind of open-ended. Um, what are your suggestions? You're a recent grad. You just got into a great residency program. Congratulations again. Right. What, what tips do you have? What did you not know that you know now that you wish you knew? Okay. I think my, my biggest tip, and I, I tell this to everyone, like I tell this to my kind of my close friends in fourth year right now who are graduating and anyone else who kind of reaches out to me to talk about what they want to do after graduation is if you can, like my thing is if you can go rule, go somewhere kind of further from home, get your experiences in, you know, make that money to pay off your debt. And I think overall it's a win-win you know, I think a lot of those communities need dentists as well. So I think you're kind of doing a service to that community as well, being out there. So that's kind of my big tip. Um, and then the big thing is, I guess, you know, even for myself, you know, I was I was the person who went to all the talks in dental school. I wanted to hear everyone's opinion and see kind of their advice for kind of moving forward. And the big thing was like, go to the practice, shadow at the practice, look at the schedule, all those things. And I, I think I didn't really listen to my advice, maybe moving back to London. I was just like, it's COVID, I'm moving. But, you know, even for kind of next year's grads, I'm hoping, you know, COVID's going to have settled out and you'll have the opportunity to go. But I think that's another big thing, like go to the practice, really take the time to make sure it's a good fit for you before you commit, you know, a year, two years of your life, potentially. No one's asking you to be an associate for, you know, at that practice for the next five years, but you know, you're, you're hopefully going to be committing at least a year or two of your life. Make sure you know what you're, you're getting yourself into for sure. So I think that's kind of the big takeaways and kind of what I saw even from the experience of all my friends. Nice. It's very, you know what, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of funny when I was applying to the States for uh, dentistry, some of the, some of the, um, they wanted you to go to rural areas and then they would pay for your tuition. And I'm, and I'm thinking about this, like either, or they'll pay for your part of tuition or they'll help you with your tuition. And I'm thinking about this. I'm like, from a fresh perspective, knowing nothing, I'm like, why would I want to work in a rural area uh, somewhere in the States? <laughs> like, this makes no sense. But now I see like so much value, like 
not only from especially from you but also from everyone else saying go rural like go somewhere Everyone's where you'll get the cases rural, that you yeah. will not get in a metropolitan area and it's, it's just funny now that i'm just like wow i could have got like a, a part of my tuition paid like even though i went out to bozier manitoba i i was flying out like twice a month like it doesn't mean you're you can't have a life, right? Like you're, you're going out there, you're, you know, you're doing some awesome dentistry and then you're making more money so you can travel a lot more and more comfortably, right? Like versus I had friends who were like, I'm not making that much money. Like I can't travel. But for me, it was like, like, I want to go to the States. Like I went to California, I was going out to Florida, like Vancouver, like every other weekend, probably like once to twice a month, I was flying somewhere. So like, you're not trapped. Like you can still like, you know, get a really good experience work-wise and still like have an awesome life. And like, have a good time. So that sounds great. I, I definitely tip my scale back to going into working with a mentor rather than doing a GPR now. I hope I'm not being a bad influence. Like I know, I know there's so many like instructors at Western right now who are going to be like, why is she saying this? Cause I remember like, so many people were like, do a GPR to the point where I was like really thinking about it. But in hindsight, like, do I have any regrets? Like, no, like I'm super happy with my decision. I have no regrets at all. I honestly thought I was going to stay another year. And that's maybe one thing that sometimes I feel a little bit bad about kind of like giving up and leaving early. But for me, it was just like Manitoba has a really strict quarantine. I was like, I can't go like a year without seeing like the people I care about without having yeah. two weeks. So I made that call, but you know, I would have stayed for another year if it wasn't for COVID 100%. Like yeah. I'm there right now. Nice. I love, well, I love it. Vlad, uh, Vlad started with endo and then perio. And then I am all over the Fido, place. And then I, I swear to God, you're pushing him towards ortho or GP. So yeah, I am all over the place. <laughs> I, it, it's so hard for me because I, I, I can't not have like a direction. <laughs> you need to know what you're doing. Eh? Yeah, I mean, I need to it's know. a good thing that you're interested in everything. Eh? <laughs> I know. I might, might, might go into a GP now. <laughs> One thing I didn't mention that, like, I think is also like this is tough for me because I feel like if I knew if I wanted to do ortho sooner, would I've gone for it right away? And the answer is probably like. Yeah, like, obviously, like, why not? But I, I really think there's a lot of value in doing general dentistry before you specialize. Just because, like, even, like, you know, I, I joined a study club when I went up to Manitoba, and you'd sit down with all these specialists, and you'd hear their opinions. And as a GP, that was awesome, because you get to learn from each other and really see how to manage a case um, more so in an interdisciplinary way as opposed to in a single focus. So I think, you know, finishing school and going into a specialty right away, you really don't know what general dentistry is about and kind of, you know, what are all the possibilities for a patient versus if you go into the GP life, you learn from a bunch of specialists, you, you have a better scope of everything available, all the tools available. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. That's a tough one. Cause I feel like I'm being a bit of a hypocrite. Cause maybe if I got in right away, I'd go right away, but it's like, I think well, there's a lot of value in being a GP for a bit before you go back to school. Yeah, well, the, the thing is, I mean, you discovered it. You found the, your true passion, right, after a year's worth of work. Like, you did the sort of hard labor of going through GPs and seeing what you like and don't like, right? Yeah. And honestly, from every specialist that I've talked to, they have they obviously talk about different procedures and different lifestyles and whatnot and different ambitions. But the one common thing that they all had uh, to say was that, if you're going to specialize, make sure you absolutely love it. For sure. And I think that's huge. Right? Like, I think even for me, like, okay, like I think being in private practice, like I said, I wasn't doing any ortho. So I always, you know, really had to question, like, do I want this? Like, am I going to be happy doing this day in, day out? And I made that decision just solely based on shadowing, really, like just getting exposure and seeing different orthodontists. But the one thing, like, 
that I was a little bit torn about for a while was I really liked endo. So I was doing a lot of endo, you know, within, you know, there was a two week span where I did an endo a day. Like I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. And that was a hard one for me because I was like, maybe I should pursue endo. Like maybe like that's what I need to do. But I think it was more so shadowing and talking to my own mentors that I realized, you know, based on my personality, I think ortho would be a better fit. Um, But again, you know, I had to kind of go through that exploration and really decide what I wanted to do. And if it wasn't for, you know, that year of GP practice, you know, I I might be going down a totally different route right now. And I think, you know, the route I am on is kind of what was meant to be and what's the best fit for me. So just my two cents. I don't know what's right. Like, I really don't. Like, I I applaud those people who go right into their specialties, too, because you have to grind it out to make that happen. So props to them. But, you know, different, a totally different kind of path. A path that works regardless, right? I think that's yeah. kind of the common theme I'm, I'm starting to find. Just if, you, if you're, I guess, true to yourself, like true to what you want to do with your career, right? Like you're, you're going to end up in the place you need to be. Um, but sure. anyways, this has been like an, an amazing conversation and I can keep going and going with this. I'm sure Christian Jury can too. Um, so again, this has been Dr. Nuruzian. Uh, she is great. Hit her up. But do you have any like <laughs> social media or anything that you want to plug or uh, somewhere people can find you, I guess? <laughs> we can make a little post about you on our website, but yeah. For sure. Um, so I just go kind of by Sipita Nuruzian right now, but I think shortly I should be creating my ortho Instagram. So I'll definitely kind of shoot you a link once I have that made. But absolutely. Yeah. I definitely want to kind of document my journey through residency and you know private practice afterwards. So I'm really excited about that. So I'm, I'm waiting. I'm gonna make it soon. I promise. I just got in like a few weeks ago. So I'm trying to let that all settle and stuff. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. Well thanks so much. I guess we're gonna end it there, right? So Thank you to the co-hosts. Had a great time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much. That was awesome. It's a great time.